All right, let me read for us from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. This evening we have the privilege of... Uh, Mr. Adam Venable, who's the REF campus minister at UAB, here to preach. And Adam, I'm really glad you're here. Thanks for being here. Uh, one of the reasons he is here is that we, my wife and our boys, we closed on our home in uh, Southside on Wednesday. The movers show up Tuesday, so it's a bit crazy at the moment. So I've asked him to, to preach for me this week. So, Adam, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me this evening. It is good to be with you and good to get to open up the scriptures with you this evening. Um, As Will said, I am the RUF campus minister at UAB here in Birmingham. And the last time that I was with you, I think that we opened up the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. And so I thought I would simply continue that prayer that we had began the last time. Um, only getting to our Father in Heaven the last time I was with you. And tonight, I'm hoping we can make it through what's called the next three petitions or the next three lines of the Lord's Prayer. My wife and I recently bought a home. Only last weekend we moved in. And so we've been thinking about home buying and home inspections and things like that. And of course, when you're buying a home, it's very important to examine the foundation, to see if the foundation is sound. Um, Every child knows that if you're building a tower, a, a Lego tower or a tower of blocks, the most important thing is the foundation of that tower. Because, of course, everybody's impressed with how high your tower is, but what really matters is the base. That's what's going to make it Last and stand. And that's how Jesus ends this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, where the Lord's Prayer is found. And this is how Jesus ends this sermon. He says, Everyone then who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the flowers, the flowers, the floods came. There are no flowers in this story. And the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And so tonight we begin by looking at the end of the Lord's Prayer because it tells us, I'm sorry, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, because it tells us what the Lord's Prayer is all about. This foundation on which if we will do it, if we will obey God's Word and obey the things contained in the Lord's Prayer, it will be like a solid foundation that we can stand on. If we will not just hear what Christ is saying in the Lord's Prayer, but if we will do it, it will be like a foundation. And last week we began by looking at that first line, Our Father in Heaven. And we talked about how because God had adopted us into His family, though we had been orphans and lost in our sins, because God loved us, He sent His Son to die for us that we might know the love of the Father. And so that's how Christ starts out in His prayer. That because He has died for us, we can now know the love of our Heavenly Father in Heaven. The Gospel of Matthew itself, you could almost describe it as heaven being opened up. The Matthew begins with angels coming down to Joseph in a dream from heaven to tell him about the virgin birth. At Jesus' baptism, heaven is ripped open, it literally says. And the Father's voice speaks and the Spirit descends like a dove. And so... Christ begins this prayer, our Father in heaven, and then moves on to this first line, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name is the first line we're looking at. And the first thing to see is how important a name would have been to a Jew in the first century. My name, Adam, and most of your names probably don't have the kind of significance that a name would have had to a Jew in the first century. The name told a person who they were. When you found out someone's name, you then knew what to expect about them. And so God is saying, here in this first line of the Lord's Prayer, My name tells you who I am, and because of that, if you will hallow my name, it's like you're hallowing me as well. Um, Every teenager knows what it's like to have someone make fun of your mother, and how... There's something about someone speaking poorly of your mother and her name that gets, maybe especially to a little boy, that gets deep down into your heart, into your soul, and offends you. And the same is true of God, that He is deeply offended when people speak badly of Him, when people put down His name. Of course, we do that uh, most obviously by making God's name kind of the exclamation at the end of a sentence. Um, We hear that in our culture, and we even hear it in the church sometime. But Christ is saying, when you pray, pray that you and those whom you know would give honor and respect and dignity and hallow the name of God, which which is revealed by Jesus to be Father and Son and Spirit. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, go and baptize them into the name singular of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And so Christ is saying, when you pray, pray that you and others would hallow and honor the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And 
This is difficult for you and me because we naturally want our own names to be hallowed. You know, for example, tonight in my flesh, I desperately want you to love me and not Jesus. In my flesh, I just want you to hallow and respect and worship the name of Adam Venable. That's what I long for in my flesh. And not the name of Jesus. Which is why the Lord's Prayer is really for broken sinners like me and like you. Christ is saying, if you're the kind of person that has a meltdown when someone doesn't give you the respect that you want, then the Lord's Prayer is for you. If you're the kind of person that throws a temper tantrum, be it adult or child, when you don't get the thanks that you want or the praise that you want, you know, after you volunteered at the nursery for the hundredth time and no one bothers to thank you and you have a meltdown, if that's you, then the Lord's Prayer is for you. That we might pray, Heavenly Father, I want your name to be hallowed. And if no one ever mentions my name or thanks me or gives me praise, I'm okay with that. Really what we're praying when we say hallowed be your name is that God would give us thick skin. The gospel should give us thick skin. But I can take your insults. I'm okay if you never thank me in the spirit. Now in my flesh, that drives me crazy. But in the spirit, I should be okay with not being thanked. I should be okay if uh, you think I'm weird that I believe in Jesus. Because when I pray, hallowed be your name, I'm praying, Heavenly Father, would you give me thick skin to love your name being praised and hallowed and be okay with my name not? So that's the first thing, hallowed be your name. But then he moves on to your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And this goes back to the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, where the writer begins his gospel by saying, This Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Abraham, is also a son of David. Going all the way back to 2 Samuel 7, where God promised in the scriptures that he would one day send a son of David to rule over a kingdom. Every child knows what it's like to have a kingdom. It's basically your room that you have. Your room is your kingdom. And probably more so than other rooms in the house, that's your dominion. And you decide what goes on there. Unless you share your room with your brother or sister. and Then you've got kind of a co-dominion going on there. But Christ's dominion is much the same. This is his area, his sphere, where he calls the shots. Where the peace of his kingdom reigns and rules. And it's not just a kingdom where everything goes the way he wants it to go. But it's a kingdom that is displayed most uh, perfectly in his death on the cross for sinners. The coming of his kingdom looks like the king dying for sinners, dying for rebels. The kingdom is peace for those who have rebelled against God. The kingdom is peace for those who've been cast out and orphaned. And Christ and his kingdom promises to adopt people who have been orphaned because of sin. And that's where our citizenship really is, in his kingdom. And not firstly in the United States, but at the right hand of God even, where Christ ascended into heaven. And it says that we're seated with him at the right hand of God, scripture says, even when we worship here, that we're seated in heaven with Jesus. So that my citizenship primarily is not in the United States but with Jesus in heaven.
I went on a lot of mission trips when I was in high school. And one of my favorite things about going on the mission trip was the adventure of it all. It felt very dangerous to me as a junior in high school to travel into a foreign country. We went into the interior of Mexico where there's no power. Um, you know, we went for hours and hours and hours driving and didn't see a policeman anywhere. Who knows what might happen here? But despite all the danger, I knew that my citizenship in the United States, I knew that being a citizen of the United States gave me a certain peace and protection no matter where I went in a foreign country. And the same ought to be true of God's kingdom. As we pray, your kingdom come, Heavenly Father. We're not praying for his kingdom to come as an outsider, uh, far distant from his kingdom, hoping that it's going to get to me. But I'm praying for his kingdom to come already a member of that kingdom, already a member of that city of God, praying that the peace and the grace and the righteousness that's true there, where I'm already seated with Jesus in heaven, would be true here. In my life, in my family's life, in my neighbor's life. And the amazing thing is that that should give us a a peace. When we're praying, your kingdom come, we're really praying for the peace of the kingdom. And you see this especially just a few verses later after the Lord's Prayer where Christ says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust Destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And just a few verses later, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. As a way to say, I know you were anxious about your children. I know you're anxious about their health and their grades and what school they're in or should be in. I know you're anxious about your parents. I know you're anxious about how much money you don't have in your checking account. I know you're anxious about your marriage. I know you're anxious about so many things. But I want you to remember my kingdom. Because you are seated with Christ in heaven. In the city of God already. And so if you will pray, your kingdom come, Heavenly Father. I will remind you and I will give you peace. And I'm not going to necessarily take you out of all the, um, the, the circumstances that you're in. But I will give you peace in the midst of the storm. I'll give you refuge in the midst of the storm. I'll even give you joy in the midst of the storm. And so that's the second thing Christ is saying. Pray your kingdom come that God might give us the peace of the kingdom here and now. And lastly... Jesus says, your will be done. Your will be done. And of course, this is what Jesus had come to do. To reveal the will of God. And to do the will of God. And this in many ways would have been the hope of the Jews and all of Israel. That eventually, everyone everywhere would do the will of God. But the amazing thing is that Jesus of Nazareth had come, not just as a man, but as the Son of God, to do the will of God for sinners. 
the reason that we meet on Sundays, the reason why we call this the Lord's Day, is because it was on this day that we remember Jesus' resurrection. That Christ has finished the will of God for our salvation. That Jesus has done the will of God perfectly for you and for me and risen from the dead, which is why we meet today on the Lord's Day. And so we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is to be reminded that Jesus is in heaven, risen from the dead, because he did the will of God perfectly. Always loving God. Always loving his neighbor. Never losing his temper when he shouldn't. Always loving the truth and um, never telling a lie. And this is important because you and I tend to create rules and call that the will of God. Rules that are very doable so that we can pat ourselves on the back about. But Christ, even near the Lord's prayer here, he comes and he says, Look, if you want to know what the will of God is, I'll tell you what the will of God is. He says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I tell you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hell. Every time you think that about that driver who cuts you off, you deserve God's judgment. Um, just a few, a few verses later, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The second you even have that thought about that woman or about that man, God says that compared to his righteousness, you have already slept with her. You have already slept with him. Now, if you're like me, that can be overwhelming to think, that's what God expects of me. And I either go two ways. Either I go, well, that's never going to happen. Um, next, move on to something else. Try and just put that out of my mind. Or I can create another version of the rule that's sort of watered down and dumbed down so that I can sort of live above shame and above guilt and above condemnation without ever actually having um, tried to do what Jesus is actually saying. But what Christ is saying is that if, if you're overwhelmed about having to do the will of God, if that overwhelms you with the kind of righteousness that God expects you to pursue, Christ is saying, your Heavenly Father loves you, and He died for you, And he has filled you with his spirit through faith. And he has promised that if you will ask me, help me to do your will, Heavenly Father, because I don't want to do it. If you will ask, then he will help you. And he will change your heart. And I'm not here to give you false hope and to tell you that if you will pray that prayer, then suddenly you're going to stop sinning tomorrow. But I will tell you this. That your Heavenly Father loves you, and He wants you to be like Him and to carry on the family name. And He's promised that if you will ask, He will help you to do His will. 
But if you don't ask, he won't help you. Um, This is what Jesus says just a few verses later. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask? He loves us, and He wants to give us His good gifts, but we have to ask. We have to go to Him in prayer and ask Him to help us do His will. And really, that ought to make us optimistic. Um... You ever feel stuck in the mud about where you are in your Christian life? This prayer ought to make us optimists about getting up, putting one foot in front of the other, and praying for Him to help us to turn away from sin and to pursue righteousness. And that doesn't look like Superman. Um, You know, this is what it felt like to one man praying in the Psalms and This man struggled to do the will of God. And he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And if that sounds like you, then you're the kind of person that the Lord's prayer is for. I mean, the the psalmist goes on to say, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. And though he has been sunk in sin, because of God's mercy and grace, he is optimistic about turning away from his sin and finding the joy of his salvation again. I'll end with this. In 1989, my family lived in Huntsville, Alabama, and you might remember in 1989, there was a devastating tornado that went through southeast Huntsville. And I can remember driving around Huntsville after the fact, seeing cars strewn around pasture fields and parking lots like they were toys in our living room that my son had just strewn everywhere. And I can remember the actual night of the tornado driving through Huntsville, and we were going home. My my daddy had picked me up, and I knew that we were going home where our basement was. And... No matter how bad the wind looked like it was blowing, and no matter how bad that storm got, and it was bad, I felt safe and secure, headed towards our basement, and later on that night, spending the hours of the tornado in our basement as it passed over us and protected us. And that's really what Christ is saying that the Lord's Prayer ought to be, it ought to be a refuge in the midst of the storm. As we pray for Him to help us to hallow His name and to find the peace of His kingdom, 
and to be optimists about pursuing righteousness and obeying God. Because, you know, it can be easy for prayer to feel like it's just for the super spiritual. And that's why I don't do it, you might be saying. I don't pray much because I'm not super spiritual. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just not like one of those people. Um, I don't pray. I don't pray with my family. Um, I, I'm just not spiritual enough to pull that off. But what Christ is saying is that prayer ought to be a refuge in the storm. And if, if your life feels like a storm, then these words are for you. If things feel like they are so devastating that there is no hope or that you have lost all hope, then the Lord's Prayer is meant to be a refuge in the midst of that storm. And it will be if we will but go to God and pray to Him. So as we close tonight, I would just invite you to pray with me that God might do that in our hearts. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for sunshine and for a day of rest. We pray that you would even give us the rest of your salvation. Would you stir our hearts to cry out to you more often? Heavenly Father, those of us who are tired and feel like giving up, would you stir our hearts to cry out to you that we might find refuge in the midst of our storms? That we might experience grace um, in the midst of the means of grace that you've given to us in prayer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.